putting down some scaffolding across the road, so hopefully that won't be too. It's alright. There's always, there's always something that gets in the way. Hi, I'm Katerina, and this is Sound Effects, a new music and mental health podcast. Life is hard, and so am I. You better give me something so I don't die. Listening to this song took me back to a time that must have been not very good because I got this real kind of weird pain. Oh God! I got this weird sort of pain in my jaw, like a real kind of lock, and just and I, and I felt a real kind of whoa, hang on, something kind of made me go. Don't listen to this. I got a bit of a mouth water and felt a little bit kind of anxious, and I thought something's telling me not to to, to do that. So, and I don't know what the the, the link is. Welcome back to Sound Effects. You've just been listening to John Bassett, a psychotherapist who spent the Britpop years working as a sales and marketing representative. He's part of a collective of therapists working with issues connected to the music industry. It's called the Music Industry Therapist Collective, founded by Townsend Embleton. I'm meeting up with John today in his therapy rooms in North Finchley. responsibilities in some respect. I'm wondering whether you might actually have some insight on that in terms of, you know, draw and pull to that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about the draw and pull initially because I, I wonder whether that is always going to be a, a subjective thing about what it is that people are drawn to. I guess there is a, a you know, music's a, a form of catharsis from a lot of difficulties it can be, you know, I think there's a, it's people are kind of drawn to a sense of community within it that perhaps they don't have in their um, in their upbringing, in their daily life. It's a, the search to be part of a tribe somehow. But I do think that the... I guess that there is a kind of... A, I notice that there is a kind of a, a substitute family thing going on as well. You know, bands have, you know, structures that are similar to families and, and you know, labels may have the same sort of thing or... You know, I think you can apply in pretty much most situations a, that kind of model whereby there is a kind of a how you fit in in your own family. You may replicate within a band, or you may replicate it within a, a working structure within within the label, whether it's part of a management team or working for a label or part of a studio team or whatever it is. You may use that and become who you are normally if you're quite a sort of a, a dominant character or an alpha male or you're the eldest sibling or um, you know, that may be replicated but in terms of the, what the original draw yeah I think that there is something very subjective but I wonder whether you can look at it as a form of kind of escape and an outlet really that, um, that's drawn I think that, that feels like it's um, that feels like it's at the heart of, of a lot of what I've seen people, the clients that I've seen, that there is a sense of belonging, mm. I think, within that, that's being yearned for and searched for, but often when they find it, I suppose, and within a band or a you know, working environment and feel like they can, it doesn't always work out purely a good thing, you know, it, 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 every, everything has its dysfunction, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I hear often. It's like that word yearning that you used, mm-hmm. um, where to some extent that that comes along, but then shrouded in all this other stuff like uh, drugs and alcohol and lack of sleep, and then and um, that's destroyed. I don't know. It sort of counterbalances the the nourishment from from what you get in the identity of it all. Yes, that's I think I, so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's definitely it's definitely a kind of a, a it's never what it seems. I think. 
it's not perhaps what is yearned for isn't often found and that's when the wheels can come off slightly you know, I think that's when the sense of isolation perhaps can, can kick in or just a, a search through something else mm. like say through the drugs and the drink but, mm. Is that something you personally experience? Because obviously your, your experience was in the was in the music industry so mm. although you weren't necessarily on the road with the musicians mm-hmm. on tour I mean, I'm assuming no. But no, um, there's still an element of you being within that culture in the industry and particularly the time period that you're describing in the 90s around yeah. sort of grunge and Britpop and that's particularly a hedonistic time when I'm, I'm you know thinking it, it was yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and what, you know, what that was like for you being in the thick of that and your draw into that or, or resistance to it, or yeah. Yeah, I think I, um, I think on a personal level, I was very much drawn to it. I mean, I was <laughs> in my in my mid twenties. I was making some really really good close personal friendships. I sort of moved to London, and I felt that kind of sense of this is where I belong, and you know, hold on tight for a fast ride. And I don't think I I, I think I often used to think you know sometimes the weekends were a little bit of a break. Mm. You know, was, you know, the, the, the Monday to Friday was, you know, I, there wasn't too many nights in sort of thing. And it was, uh, yeah, I think there was a part of me that didn't really want to step out of that, really. Mm. I think I did push myself and it was generally, if you wanted to do that, the opportunities were was, was certainly there. So I think I can kind of relate to that idea of being kind of wrapped up in the whole kind of, um, I mean, and the, and the sort of the glamour, albeit slightly dirty glamour about yeah. it sometimes, it was definitely there. It was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think that's... Uh, I mean, amongst all of the, you know, like you said about the sort of the sadness underneath the, uh, it's interesting you sort of say that because there was this, it was a huge veneer of very attractive, glamorous fun and for every glitzy sort of evening there's a a half four in the morning, you know, when when everything is all a bit low and, and, and dark. Yeah, I think you can easily push that to the side and just the environment allowed you to keep pushing away that kind of darker edge and the next episode of fun was never seemingly far away, Mm. I guess. And I think that definitely was, A, an attraction for me, but also caught up at times. You know, I had to... I, I did try and... I think I stopped drinking for eight or nine months and that was a real struggle. You know, just in generally people not being able to handle the adjustment if you like in, in, in that it was like well why, why would you do that you know there was a it was, that was very very difficult to, to, to step away from that culture personally mm. you know what I did find very very difficult so you know when, when everything is literally kind of on tap yeah. it's um, it's you know it's even harder I think I'm sure other other businesses and other you know thinking of the city and things like that there are other things where there is this kind of endemic culture but it's 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 still there. I think I see it in um, some of the clients that I see as as well now that cultures are very hard to to shift. I think, yeah. and I think a lot of what the MITC are trying to do is to kind of not change the great things mm. that music industry can do because it is a lot. There is a lot to be proud of. Mm. But I think in terms of the practices in which we with the great things are done there is still a lot to kind of be improved upon in terms of procedures, best practices, the way in which things are put together, the way in which tours are set up for a start, you know, that um, Tams in Embleton is currently uh, looking for sponsorship for a touring and um, sort of health on the road uh, manual. Which is, you know, she's put a lot of work into and is really good. And it's uh, there's a lot of rigor and just a lot of questioning as to how do we make this better because it is, you know, it's become an increasingly key part of the industry. Um, you know, the festival season we know now is so much more than it used to be, and being on the road is um, an absolutely integral part. So, 
I think care needs to be taken in order to safeguard that. And is that manual, is that based on research already done or is the research being done for the manual? I think she's done most of the research with, uh, I think she's done some with, um, she has done some, a lot of work herself on it, but I think she's, um, I think she's done some work with, I think, Diana Kenny, who's Australian. Okay. She's done some um, really interesting work as well, so I think she's been in touch with that. But no, she's, she's been putting it together for a good while now, so she's looking now to get sponsorship for that. Fantastic. Well, as you talk about Tamsin, it might be a good point to sort of just mention her now. And mm. kind of, you said that you, you you met her, and I'm wondering about the circumstances around that, like how you came to meet and what your common goals were. And I guess, you know, what, what Tamsin's vision is. I know she can't speak for herself right now, but mm. you might have a sense of um, some of the, the narrative around we met through a mutual friend who we've both known for years, who's a, um, an artist manager, and he said, you know, you two should meet, etc., going down similar paths, trying to weave a, a pattern between psychotherapy and the music industry and better mental health within it. And she'd worked in um, management, she'd done tour managing for about sort of, you know, a good ten years, and so she's now moved into doing being a psychotherapist, she's a trained psychodynamic psychotherapist, she's uh, um, does a lot of work with attachment and in trauma. I think trauma, going across the whole of the MITC, there are nine of us and I think we, we, we do look at trauma as being the kind of the basis. Mm. I don't think there's any one modality we, we work from, but a lot of the themes that we are seeing in the work and in the history of the work mm. that we've all kind of done. Um, does seem to point toward um, a lot of trauma being present through the history um, that's often kind of gone undetected. Um, Lou Lebentz, who's another member of the MITC, she worked many years at the Priory, and um, Adriana Phillips, uh, who has recently come back from working for many years in a high-end treatment centre in the States, in Miami. So, and so there's lots of people who worked in lots of different areas. Mm. So that's how you know we Tamsin knew various people a lot, lot, lot more than I, a lot more than I did, but sort of introduced everybody. And yeah, we're kind of we're still growing and launching. I think mm. um, you know how as being a therapist yourself, just how time poor everybody is. Yeah. So it's a question of sort of really trying to set aside the time to to push this forward this year. Um, and to get ourselves known and to find a way of which we can kind of be a, um, I guess, a simple and um, attainable resource for the industry. And how do you see that? So you said it's not necessarily just about people wanting therapy, but about musicians, about the therapists themselves having a, a network of support as well. Yeah. Um, how might you... What would the vision of that look like, you know, ten years from now? Ten years. Or ten years from now, <laughs> five years from now, three yeah, years. Yeah, um, anyway, I guess I guess the vision um, would be, you know, we look to support each other as solo workers in the field, but, you know, we, through peer supervision. I think that you know, the vision we've got, really, is to promote this trauma-informed approach to mental health within the industry mm-hmm. and to... One of the key ones is to change the perceptions of the mental health within the music industry as well. I think that that is the key to it, is how it's kind of thought of. And it's it's sad that we have these um, you know, very high-profile deaths, of course. You know, we've, you know, last time we met, we would, uh, last time the MITC met, we were talking about Chester Bennington and um, Chris Cornell, and now, of course, we're talking about Keith Flynn, you know, which is, you know, it's, it's hitting very close to home. I mean, these are people who... Um, who are known to us and we've you know, worked with and gone to see and shared their journey on a, from as fans and as colleagues and um, in some of our um, instances as, as friends and these are losses that will hit the industry hard on personal level and on a wider level I think that there are lots and lots of questions that we're trying to address and to tackle but I think that the thing about the perception um, I hope it doesn't take deaths in order for those perceptions to be changed, that we can get to the point whereby the, you know, through the sort of a more of a proactive approach to 
be able to be more um, to be able to create an early intervention I think into these things so they don't you know we're not seeing things after the event we're not sifting through the debris we're creating a better environment for which musicians can come into in five to ten years you know the people who are kids now who are thinking I'm going to be in a band when I'm older or I'm starting to create music and I'm starting you know, in their teens when they come through and they become adults that they are in a place that's going to be more nurturing to them rather than to be something that is um, going to exacerbate the vulnerability I suppose if they're coming in with any vulnerability that the industry won't be something that exacerbates it because you know unfortunately some of the endemic cultures that we've spoken about um do exacerbate it and make it a very hard place to succeed both as a as a musician but also as a kind of a grounded rounded human being you know it's really interesting around what you're saying because I do remember years back when I was working with Samaritans there there was um, a consultation with the public around the kinds of images that would relate to the public conscience in terms of um, evoking compassion and empathy for uh, around the subject of male suicide yeah. and the image of the musician was something that there was huge resistance to so like when when they were developing the posters they ended, I don't know if you remember them, but they ended up with pictures of like soldiers and boxes. Yes, I do. But, yes, yeah, I remember those that. images were very powerful and impactful. But when they had the images of musicians, there was almost um, a distaste, like there was no compassion there. And I found that fascinating. Yeah. That that's it, linking it to what you're saying about the endemic perceptions of the music industry. Yeah. That was filtering down to the public and whether or not they would support them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think maybe there's you know if we're talking about endemic cultures I guess there's always been there's something endemic about like you say about how the public perceive people in the music industry that you know they look at the guy on the stage or the or the woman on the stage and they just assume that they must be having the best time of their lives and why would they be moaning and how could anything possibly be going wrong look at you you're having uh, a huge experience thousands of people are chanting your name and how can anything be yeah. go wrong with that and I think that perhaps maybe there is a um, like you said a, a resistance to feeling sympathy and empathy and I guess thinking sort of personally as well you know thinking back 20 years as well if I were to be you know saying to people who I worked with who didn't work in the music industry oh you know I'm struggling with this I'm struggling with that or whatever they'd be like what, what do you mean you, you know, you're going to these amazing concerts and you're working with these amazing bands and you know you're having great experiences how could anything be wrong so I think you're right I think there is something about the, the sympathy levels of the of the of the public perception as well that that needs to be kind of altered but I guess we're seeing more and more I mean I guess you know you we, we, we could both probably rattle off lots of artists who now are finding a way of opening up about yeah. these sort of things about their mental health struggles and about their addiction struggles but I wonder whether that is the uh, a, a, another sort of branch of it as well to show that yes it can be an amazing experience but it's not just an amazing experience that there are these uh, there's, there's a lot of shade as well as light yeah and you know just naming the lifestyle of the musician in itself it kind of in a way it's logic as well you, you lack mm. of sleep drugs access to alcohol mm-hmm. um, on the road no home base like when you think of it in that way there's a sense of uh, of course it, of course it would be yeah. traumatic and you're call, you're talking about trauma do you mean trauma in that respect or even beyond in the history of the, of the musician. In beyond that I think as well and yeah. history really can be kind of come from anywhere I think it's so much can be kind of un- undetected mm. but I think that that feeling of there being a separateness to a, to a real life in some way as yeah. well especially yeah. sort of being on tour I think I've, I've, I've noticed you know in terms of what we've seen that about kind of maintaining relationships even maintaining a relationship that's not you know, if you're on the road for three weeks then you're back for a week then you're away for four then you know maintaining a relationship or having you know a small child if there's an ill relative or something like that at home how do you then sit in the bubble of a tour whereby you know everything is kind of worked out to a degree and has has to function has to move forward as opposed to the kind of dysfunction of what might be happening at home and another thing I think we've noticed as well is the post-tour come down as being a really difficult thing 
to to handle. It's been it's, you know we've noticed that it's a real a real struggle, yeah. and we've we've sort of been asking ourselves the question: How can how can we as the MITC you know, look at producing some kind of documents, producing some kind of best practices, talking to to labels, to management about how to manage that within their artist, rather than just to sort of go okay. That's that. You're back on, you know, you're back in the studio, or you have a couple of weeks off, or, or, or however it's managed to be managed in a more kind of, I guess, like a weaning off the road, yeah. perhaps in some yeah. way. It does seem at the minute that people are sort of spat back out again. Aren't I they? think like, so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I did. If you're, if you have it, used to having everything kind of done for you and stuff, and then the next day you've got to go and go down the supermarket and stuff. Yeah. Again, I suppose that goes back to the to the sympathy of the public as well. You know, it's like. <laughs> What are you moaning about? You know what I mean? It's hard to, but you know, but it's hard. It's the readjustment. I think any kind of transition from a very sort of particular environment into another one is going to have an effect. I think that that jolt of environments can only leave something kind of a bit abrasive within yourself and to not feel quite ready to assimilate back into I don't know whatever normality is, but whatever a normal site or. If you're going back into a particularly dysfunctional situation and you're thinking, I just want to get back out on tour, you know, I, I, I think I read something about Take That when they did their tour, I think it was last year, and obviously now they're, now they're older, they've got their families and they've got lots of, you know, they, they came back on the tour and I think there was like this sort of round robin conversation not long afterwards where they were saying, God, I just want to get back out on the road again because they, they kind of really missed it and got back to their families and stuff, but there was still this kind of itch, I suppose, that, that, that they wanted to get back out, that, I guess, another yearning where they wanted to get back out on the road because that's where maybe it felt more functional, felt more safe, felt more boundaried yeah. in some way too. Yeah. I think so. I think there's something about it being, I guess the word institutionalised gets yeah. given a bit of a negative reputation, but there is an element of that, I think, in it, that you're within a structure. And yeah, you're right. I've, I've worked with people who've worked in the prison service for a long time, and they, they love it, but the thought of stepping out of that, they find very difficult. What to do after that? And I think, you know, my... my Father is um, or was in the in the air force as well, even for 21 years as well. So that sense of just being within a kind of a, a regimented, boundary, safe. There's a security to that, I think. Um, and being left to one's own devices can be dangerous, I guess, particularly if there is a predilection for for drink and drugs, and there's a lot of time to kill, and you know you've got maybe got a bit of money in the bank or or whatever it is, or you're going back into a, a relationship that's not working or. There's uh, you know, the difficulties in a relationship have been exacerbated by being on the road so there's all of these kind of components that can easily if left unchecked and unmonitored can cause quite a lot of distress and can you know trigger off breakdowns and um, even worse yeah on the on the flip side of that as you speak as there's the image there of almost the successful musician mm. and that happening to them and thinking about all those musicians who who don't even have access to the money either yeah, or all the failures or the being dropped by the label or having a bad review or an audience that isn't receptive and and the extra pressure that that then creates on top of everything else anyway yeah i i definitely think that i mean i think we've uh, you know, we, we've looked at what we've the sort of stressful elements that we've found in terms of working clinically with people from all facets of the industry, but mostly with the actual musicians and those career uncertainty and the sort of financial pressure, because, like you said, not everybody is turning a decent living out of this. There's a lot of musicians 
who are at a sort of a, a, a level that is kind of just sort of eking it out and what, and what, what about those kind of struggles you know it's a, there is a lot of uncertainty and, and as you say the transition from every band that's formed I guess there's a band breaking up somewhere yeah. and then what you know and often if it's the only thing that you've ever wanted to do that's a huge amount of turmoil to then go through I think it's maybe again part of what the industry as a whole and perhaps MITC can shine some sort of light upon is is to kind of keep people in mind once they have been mm. guess not spat out the other end but the deal has come to an end the career has finished the band has broken up you know even in within I think even in within one band you could probably say if say there's four members of a band two people might welcome the split because they've just had enough of it and it's awful and I want to go off and do what I really want to do and two people are absolutely bereft and all points in between I think you know there are so many subjective experiences to the, just to the one an event of a band breaking up that need to be managed and provided for in some way perhaps yeah. you know, because the experience of having there's, there's someone out there who will have gone through that yeah. experience too mm. and particularly you're talking about your father and people with families it's particularly poignant because there's an element of well, coming home if something's broken up there's a sense of not being able to provide for the family on top mm. of everything else which yeah I, I, I could just see that kind of snowball and snowball and snowball effect mm. also thinking just about in that scenario the children because you described your father being in the air force so I imagine he often went away and came back and went so I could, I could see a parallel there if, if someone's a musician and they have a, a, a dad or a mum that goes away and comes back and goes away the impact on the wider family system yeah that. I think so I think there's a I know that there's an acceptance almost that that's just what mum or dad does that they're just away a lot so there's a kind of a I guess the, the, the resilience of the child that kind of just gets on with stuff but you know it's, it's suppressing quite a lot of stuff about how they view parental relationships that may come out later so you know you can set the scene for a for a future dysfunction I suppose with that but yeah I think that there is a, a normality to being away a lot with you know, with, with the, maybe the children of, of musicians that, that just maybe someone that they just see on TV or something like yeah. that you know there's, there's, there's I guess there's an, quite an odd structure within that yeah is that something that you can relate to with your clients potentially on a on a more personal level that element of I, I don't know about your own personal journey emotionally with that but but having gone through that with your own father and then mm. coming into contact with musicians who are potentially living a similar sort of lifestyle in that sense or with children of musicians who are now grown up and have that relationship with their parents yeah I'm sure it's, I mean my personal well, you know I was I was lucky my dad left the Air Force when I was still fairly young so I did have him you know around on a kind of a regular nine-to-five basis sort of thing okay. he, you know he worked that kind of thing so I was kind of lucky in that regard that he decided to to I guess normalize his life somehow that, um, yeah. because he'd done his 20 years I think in the Air Force by that point but I think yeah I, it must be very hard I, I must admit I've not had I'm trying to think through my kind of caseload of, of people who've found it difficult it's been more been relationships I think from my personal point of view you know, not not with not with children but with partners mm. I think that that's that's been the, the, the hardest yeah. bit is, is that kind of maintaining or particularly or, or in young artists that I've worked with with um, with their parents still you know that, that dealing with dealing with issues within the family and then not being there to be able to, to help out or you know, being aware that stuff's going on at home with their parents and brothers and sisters and stuff like that that they're away and not unable to to contribute to or deal with mm. um, so I think that that kind of disconnect I guess yeah. can have a very profound effect so yeah I think that that will be a, a really hard thing to do and I think what I've, I've noticed as well that you know that that anxiety can often get kind of brought out in things like you know fear of flying can come out or other kind of disorders you know how things find their way out yeah. Don't they? You know, what's being suppressed, it kind of finds its way out somehow. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I think it, I think a lot of the time it's the very different way in which the music industry seems to work. I'm sure there's a lot of industries who will probably say that they're kind of fairly unique. Mm. But I wonder about the music industry being slightly different in as much that it's quite visible, it's quite a public thing, that you know, you're creating for the public. It's not the music industry creating music for themselves in a kind of a, a closed off environment. It's something that is for everyone, it's for all, it's for you know, you go to festivals and it's there's hundreds of thousands of people sharing in these very energetic peak experiences. And I think that that sense of it being for everyone, I think, sets it apart a little bit for me. I yeah. think it's not, it's not something that is just in and of itself, mm. the music industry, I think, that's, that makes it, makes it slightly unique. Then that creates that dichotomy when people are creative and creating music and that are essentially art and the interaction of that with the audience, but then this whole commercialised aspect of sales and almost like a business um, and I, I can see how that is quite unique to the music industry because well perhaps other creative industries as well but that split in a way mm. having, what's the, there's a phrase that a lot of musicians talk about around selling their soul or, or yes, selling that, out that, that they become that commodified in yeah, some way that they yeah. become just commodities to be packaged and renamed and you know branded and you're going to look like this and you're going to sound like that and uh, you know what what then does that do to one's identity etc i think that's again that's another sort of key key thing as well how much of that identity kind of gets lost and how much of the persona that you want to lose perhaps too you know in order to re to reinvent oneself to recreate these different persona that can maybe mask the real them you know i don't they don't want to be known as x because why is a very different and successful person, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just thinking the image right now does come up of Keith Flint because mm. of his persona, public perception, and his internal life, and, and just thinking of superstars generally and that that element of it. Um, did, did, did you know Keith Flint? No, I didn't. didn't no, I didn't. No, no, but, you know, just reading over the last week, it's not difficult to see how absolutely loved it was really yeah. you know, there's not a, you know, a, a genuine genuine sad loss it is for him to not be around anymore really but yeah it's that, that kind of anxiety that uh, just so there's so much of it you can't see of the collective yeah. one thing that really struck me was um, it's very female led which has in many ways really pleased me yeah. <laughs> um, but that's another aspect I think in the music industry is that so far to some extent and often when I'm thinking about it I think of it as a very male specific yeah. issue but of course there are so many women in the industry who are having their um, their own experiences subjective experiences and then how motherhood comes into that and how that impacts mm. female singers and musicians in similar ways potentially and whether you're seeing that personally I did I, in fact I, th- I had a conversation I think with with Tamsin um, fairly recently, we were talking about, uh, I think it was the artist Fever Ray. She did a tour, I think, and I think she, there was something about how she had break regular breaks in the tour. You know, people, there, there was a lot of her crew were female, and so it was much more kind of, it felt like it was a much kinder way of doing it, that it was there was lots of breaks, you could go home and see family. It was generally... Um, it seemed like a better approach. I mean, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm, I'm all for, <laughs> for women. Um, I, I, I've got a house full of um, women, um, two, two daughters, and um, I grew up with two sisters, and, and so, you know, I'm used to 
I, in fact, until you mentioned it, it was mostly female. I hadn't really noticed that there's only two men in the uh, in the in the collective. But yeah, no, I think it's. I, I think you're right. I think it's it is the way it's going, and, and more power to it. I think because the kind of the the more masculine patriarchal approach, I think, say it hasn't worked, but it brings its own issues. When we talk about the you mentioned earlier about the Samaritans and and we've noticed obviously as well and the research that is out there that I think it's um, is it male suicide, I think men are, male musicians even are two and a half times more likely to, mm. to, to die by suicide than males in the normal population which is already yeah. a hugely um, higher um, um, likelihood so something in the industry is exacerbating the likelihood and again that's something to be addressed about male musicians and men in the industry as well so yeah that's something we're we're definitely noticing because I think as we've said about the high profile ones you yeah. know, there's not been I don't think there's been I can't remember if there was a there was the thing in the some research that I read I'm terrible at remembering where I where I read stuff but there was they recorded all sort of musicians deaths by suicide and I think there was something like two in a five year period that were female so it was so sparse so there is something very so prevalent about the male link and and also sort of parasuicidal behaviours you know extreme risk taking and um, much more likely to be um, involved with addictions and very sort of um, self-destructive behaviours I was thinking about your connections with other charity things like Help Musicians UK and um, Musicians for Mental Wealth, which is um, a charity that I had also done a podcast episode with a while back. And mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering about how the how the relationship is between all of these different people and, and charities working in this area with MITC and how how collaborative it is and what sorts of work is going into that. Well, we, you know, we're we're feeling that it is a, a, a place for like, for collaboration. I think that, that what sets us apart is that we are um, very much sort of therapist based, really, yeah, rather absolutely. than that. It's very yeah. much about creating that network amongst ourselves in order to to make a difference. But yeah, we we've had we've met with Tamsin. I think we've met with Bapam, and we've met with. Music support, we all know music support very well. And HMUK, I was at, a, and when I did the thing for PRS, when I did the PRS talk before Christmas, HMUK were on the um, on a panel. There was a Q and A panel there as well. So, yeah, I think there is a good spirit of collaboration. But I guess everybody will have their own ideas about how to do things. But I think there's generally a sharing kind of idea mm-hmm. in terms of that. So, yeah, because um, obviously the Music support have got their their helpline and their safe tents at the festivals as well. So yeah, I think everyone is working in their own sectors on, on, on what they want to kind of concentrate on. Whereas ours obviously is about, as I said, about, as well about sort of changing that perception and just working to alleviate what's going on with the experience that we've got. Because I mean, the, amongst the nine of us, there is a hell of a lot of experience. Of, both of being on both ends of of the kind of uh, of being both patient and psychotherapist. So there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, wealth of talent, I guess, and understanding and ability to be drawn from. I think the industry is there as a. It's just I hope that the, the industry can put some funding in. You know, in stark terms, I think I think there's uh, I think if you've made an investment to an artist or a band or a producer or whoever it is, a writer, then I I wonder why you wouldn't protect that investment in any way. You know, you you'd make them physic you'd help them to be physically fit, you'd get a nutritionist, you'd get a trainer and all the rest of it. So why would you I think <laughs> why wouldn't you almost ride rather than why would you? Would be my kind of it's, about it. it's bizarre, isn't it? That kind of disconnect between the mental health and the physical health. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I remember like years ago working for a for a media company and like a marketing company, and they offered free like gym membership as part of it. Oh, you were giving everyone gym membership, and I remember thinking, well, 
and I, at the time I was having therapy and paying for it myself and I was thinking well I appreciate them giving me an hour off every Tuesday morning but it's still costing me you know, a lot of money each a lot of money each month and yeah. you know not that the gym thing wasn't thing but it's about I guess it's that conversation that's becoming increasingly more held about the parity between mental health and physical health that the, the, the amount of spending needs to kind of come up from the mental health in order to to, to to have some kind of equality with how much is spent on physical health because there's so many ways in which it can be used and I guess the, within the industry perhaps as well. Although I did read something very cool the other day about there's a, a, a Canadian label called Royal Mountain and they, I think they're based in Ontario and they've got a fund that they give, I think it's 1500 Canadian dollars to each artist per year for mental health. So they've got their own kind of fund. So if any of them need it, then there's this money set aside for them as part of their deal, and it's non-recoupable as well. So it's a really yeah. And I thought that's fantastic. And the guy who set it up and said, you know, it's n- it's not a lot, but it's a start. And I thought that's that's perfect actually. Yeah. It's it's a start. It's about making that move, and then someone else seeing that, and someone else seeing that, and letting it kind of hopefully open out in a kind of a domino effect, and people going, well, that's a simple. It, it's not difficult to do that for a, for a label or for a for a management company or whatever it is to be able to set. Some something aside in the event of. I think it would be a good practice just to do that, even if it's just there as a safety net for in case somebody knows, well, I don't need it now, everything's fine, but just in case, a good bit of uh, caretaking and safeguarding by labels. I think Royal Mountain have done a, a really good thing there. Yeah, I hope, I hope that does catch on. Yeah, it seems so simple. When yeah, it's... it does. Um, tell me about the PRS talk you, said you were talking about, the talk you gave before Christmas. Yeah, it was, we were invited to do it and it was basically they were launching a new app uh, it was a company called Massive Music were launching a new app that was designed to bring down anxiety and it was you know, technologically way beyond me and my, quite mind-blowing very, very, uh, very impressive but the PRS Benevolent Fund were there as well and you know, they, they obviously as we were saying earlier about when a band splits up or when um, it's there I think for their members and for composers and writers who perhaps have fallen on hard times or need medical assistance uh, or something like that there's a fund there waiting for them and I was talking to a couple of people from PRS afterwards and they were saying look if, if people come to you privately or through whatever referral system that you, that you have and if they are a member of PRS get them to mention it to us because we'll be able to put something put something towards it as if you are PRS members so you know that I think you know people like PRS are, are seeing these potential difficulties and are, you know doing something about it it was really good to do actually I'm, t- I'm a terrible public speaker I'm even nervous doing this but it was, it was the, the risk was more than rewarded I think seeing people coming up to me afterwards and it was he- hearing how appreciative people were just of um hearing someone stand up and be quite sort of frank about what's what their experience is and what the experience is of people that are coming through their through through the door and sitting with them every week. It's um, you know there's a lot to be done and I hope that MITC and others can be part of turning around and, and creating a, a much better environment in which to work because it is a good environment to work. You know, I I, I absolutely loved working in the record industry. Yeah, it was the most <laughs> exhilarating times and I think, you know, I hope that other people have that experience but if it can be you know, it brings danger, that exhilaration, any kind of, you know, even those, those highs bring the potential for, for lows too. It's, yeah. a, um, it's quite, a, quite a ride, yeah. I think, and I think if it can be, if you're prepared to, um, to pay for the high, if you like, or to, you know, to say that, you, I think there's something that you have to be able to sort of be prepared for the, uh, to catch the fall, if you like. Yeah. I think, so I think, you know, when, when there is an inevitable crash or difficulty, I think, it's beholden on us or the industry perhaps to be able to be there to provide that care for when that happens. Yeah. As you've kind of come back to your own experience of the ride of that, I'm wondering about music's impact on you emotionally in terms of how music itself has helped you through, or whether it has helped you with whether you experience it as having been healing for you or, or the opposite in some way. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I still I still try and listen to lots of new music and I kind of um, always make sure, I mean, it's obviously more difficult now that I'm not in the industry, but it's important to me that I do maintain a kind of a connection with the emotion of new music. I, I was recently talking with a friend and she said, do me a playlist of music that has an emotional kind of resonance of that. And, and, I, and I just kind of bashed off 25 songs and I thought I could be here, there could be 125, you know what I mean? There was, and I realised that there was just how much these sort of songs did mean for various different reasons. But I still, I did notice there was something I was playing and I can't remember what it was, but I played something fairly recently just came up on a shuffle I think I was listening to something. and I think it might have been Underworld and I love uh, and I love Underworld yeah. but listening to this song took me back to a time that must have been not very good because I got this real kind of weird pain oh gosh. I got this weird sort of pain in my jaw like a real kind of block and just and I, and I felt a real kind of whoa hang on something kind of made me go don't listen to this I got a bit of a mouth water and felt a little bit kind of anxious and I thought something's telling me not to to do that so and I don't know what the the, the link is and stuff and I, there's a few albums I think that remind me of some difficult times in childhood as well that I absolutely played to death but now I'm thinking I don't know whether I would like to listen to them now because of the real sharp edge to them. Maybe I should in a, yeah. in a, in a <laughs> maybe I should, maybe I should just sit down and go, right, listen to it and just go through it as a, as a sort of a proxy therapy session and just put myself through it. <laughs> that does make me wonder then how often that's happening for people just listening to the radio and a song will come on and mm. that, they might have that same response or, yeah. and even the physical aspects that you describe of the mouth watering and that sense of anxiety can you know for people who who might have been that might affect mem- memories of some extreme trauma and how much more profound it, it just I'm just noticing you know how this whole area of music and mental health just mm. it seeps out on so many different levels yeah yeah it feels like it's, it, I think it was like a tra- music's like a transportation device sometimes yeah. isn't it it's like I think it felt like it was a transportation back to something I think there's a transportation into a state I think perhaps and whether that's you could be taken back to a time a place in the same way that a smell can perhaps transport yeah. you back or, or, or eating some food or there's something about it being having a, a sense about it that can transport you to a, a time and a place and maybe an emotional state that you haven't quite processed in some way like you said Afraid to say, I haven't. It's, it's on my pile of yeah. things I haven't read, but I remember it. Yes, I, can yeah. work out. I know the book, yeah, yeah Tori Williamson, yeah. yeah. And that, that whole department, I think they're just continuing to do research in that whole area and how it plays a part in things like dementia and using music to yes. trigger memory and things like that. So, like, yeah, it's a huge, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. connects in the end. It's, it's, it's great. Anyone who is struggling, really, it's as simple 
towards that. I think you know we, we, we're. I think often that there is this. You know, we, we tend to just look at the people who are up there on the stage, if you like, yeah. and there are so many other people. And we've seen in you know in our clinical work. Yes, we've seen artists and, and musicians, but we've also seen we've also seen you know producers and. and DJs and managers and drum techs, you know, mm. people who work at labels, people who are, you know, all facets of the industry. I used to, when I worked, did some work with the music support, I worked with, um, I did a safe tent one day with a guy who was a rigger for many years, John O'Reilly, lovely guy, hope he's listening to this, say it later. And he um, spent a lovely day with him, but he, you know, he, he was a, worked as a rigger for, you know, Stones tours all around the world and, you know, the, and, and that life. It, there's so many different types of life within the music industry I think that, that need to have the, the issues that exist within them that are bad for mental health if you like, addressed and catered for it's not purely the musicians but also everyone around them who is helping to make that experience of music happen so I think it is for everyone and I just would like that you know, for no one to think that because they're not a musician that they can't kind of come forward and get in touch with us. Yeah. Because across the nine of us, there's there is an expertise breadth that whoever they are can plug into. You know, we 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 refer among each other, we assess for each other, and we have directory of um, psychiatrists that we all know as well that we can all plug into, um, so that we can signpost on for further treatment if just pure psychotherapy is not is not the right thing at that particular time. So it's about creating these pathways for whoever comes through the comes through the door or or, um, or emails us or gets in touch with us however they get in touch with us through the social media or whatever it is that our doors are open and we're ready and very willing and very able. I'm really excited to like keep following you guys and, and be you know be on board and support what you're what you're doing and Thank you so much. Like, I really appreciate your time. And, Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate really being asked. It's been good to speak and good to You're talk. You're really welcome. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Kate. on Twitter and get in touch with them for support on musicindustrytherapists.com. I've written all their details below the podcast online along with all the other support helpline details of the organisations that John mentioned. Um, don't forget to follow Sound Effects at Sound Effects Pod with an A on Twitter or Sound Effects Podcast on Instagram. You can interact with me there, post your thoughts or send me an email or audio message if you want to at soundeffectspodcast at gmail.com. I'll be back soon with more. Until then, time's up. Let's get out of this place before